Support for this program is provided by Chevron. I was talking to someone that organizing COP26 and they said to me, yeah, we've been getting all sorts of like crazy um, requests recently. Like it's just suddenly become really, really popular. It's like everyone's just realized that Glasgow is going to be the place to be. Anyone who's anyone, this is a quote, will want to be in Glasgow in the first two weeks of November. And so then we started digging around and we realized like that was actually true. So I think it was it was a surprise to hear it in a way. And then we started looking around at stately homes and things like that. And they're all getting booked out. I had to kind of call up like everybody that we knew that <laughs> lives that knows anyone that lives in Glasgow, and um, I think I think like half of Glasgow is moving out of Glasgow to uh, to rent their rooms out and get their rent paid for a few months. So most, there's a lot of delegates staying in Edinburgh now. I'm Annie Snyder. This is Politico Energy, and today. Carl Matheson on why the guest list for the UN's climate conference is getting bigger and bigger, and whether it could help or hurt the climate negotiations. It's Thursday, October 14th. Climate change obviously has a a wider impact on the economy, and it's not just about, you know, the delegates in the hallways. But I do think that this is a little bit different this time, and I think now we're sort of seeing that it's also a moment when it's the first time world leaders have got together and for a long time. So all of that is turning Glasgow into this place where people have just realized, hey, we want to go there and like have an impact, even if we're not part of the uh, the formal negotiations. So we're less than a month away now from the big international climate meeting in Glasgow, and we still have no clue what the U.S. is going to be bringing to the table. Um, but we do know that there's going to be a lot more than just world leaders at the summit. So who are we going to see there? We've heard that there's 100 world leaders, first of all, and that's the kind of uh, the honeypot that all the bees are heading to, to. And then around that, you've got a lot of religious leaders. There's also you know, the multilateral types, Antonio Guterres, World Bank Chief David Malpass. Of course, it's Britain, so we're going to see the royals trotted out. This is a last chance saloon, literally. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. And I've seen the water level on this bank up here within, you know, a millimetre or two of coming over the top of the bank. And you suddenly realise... You know, those stream events are going to happen more and more in the future. And, you know, the semi-royals like David Attenborough, who's kind of an honorary uh, royal in Britain. But then, you know, even actors like Leonardo DiCaprio, who's obviously very active on this. As an actor, I pretend for a living. I play fictitious characters, often solving fictitious problems. I believe that mankind has looked at climate change in that same way. And I'd say we'd see lots of billionaires. Our next guest is the New York Times best-selling author of How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. He's also had some success in his life with computers or something like that. I'm not Bill really sure. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, they're anticipated, not confirmed. And then I think there's going to be a big kind of CEO showing as well. It sounds like quite the list. Um, and that list sounds an awful lot like the crowd we usually see at Davos, right? So why has the COP become such a draw for that crowd? Well, I think it's partly because of this uh, this opportunity. They see this as a, as a big economic driver, right? This is a part of the conversation that 
they want to be having. I think it's also because Davos has been disrupted by the pandemic. Um, so this is an opportunity kind of as parts of the world are emerging from this virus that they see an opportunity to come together. And and then there's some people facilitating that stuff who actually have quite a lot of history with Davos. So that's, you know, you've got a whole bunch of factors kind of bringing these people there. Hmm. And, you know, when we hear about these big summits that draw the sort of wealthy and famous and powerful, you often wonder, is there is there any real effect to them being there? Um, but as you say, there, you know, there has been a big emphasis around climate in the in the corporate world. Do you expect anything of substance to come out of this crowd joining the international leaders there? The way the world works, you can't tackle climate change without having the CEO, Jamie Dimon of uh, JP Morgan Chase, involved in some ways. At the moment, JP Morgan Chase is one of the world's biggest financiers of fossil fuels. But, you know, if they redirect a significant chunk of that money to clean energy, then that spurs the change. So having people like that meeting with, you know, the people who run the companies that need to build a hydrogen pipeline or something like that, these are the kind of conversations that I'm told are being facilitated around the COP. So let's see how it works out though, because, you know, it might all just be sort of fancy dining and nothing of substance. But um, I don't think that that's what the organisers of these kind of extracurricular talks are uh, are envisaging. So it sounds like there could be a big upside. Is, is there a potential downside to, to having this sort of VIP crowd there joining the international leaders? I think there are two things that could go wrong. First of all, the way that this could be perceived by people around the world, we look to how governments and leaders and the UN climate process to handle this issue and treat it seriously and the idea that this is an elitist uh, convention, that you know this is something that rich and powerful people are going to deal with, is not the kind of inclusive spirit um, and the multilateral spirit that COPs for uh, more than two decades have tried to generate. And then there's a very real sort of inequality that's already existing in the in this COP. We've got a COP that's very, very difficult to get to, particularly from the world's most vulnerable countries. World-changing conversations would be so easy for, frankly, some of the people who are both on their own and also the companies they run or uh, the operations that they're heading up, some of the most carbon intensive in the world. So the fact that they're kind of claiming their seat more easily than a Pacific Island uh, leader is certainly uh, a difficult proposition for, I imagine, a lot of the world to swallow. Also, labor unions in the energy and mining industries are pushing back against a central climate provision in the Democrats' reconciliation package. In a letter sent to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the union said they were concerned that a clean energy standard would stymie carbon capture and storage technology. The group see that technology, which would trap greenhouse gases from coal and natural gas before they affect the climate, as a lifeline for the fossil fuel industry. But they say that the technology couldn't compete economically with wind and solar under the program proposed by Democrats. That Clean Electricity Performance Program, or SEP, would pay utilities that increase their use of clean energy and fine those that choose not to. 
The concerns echo those of West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, who had publicly and privately criticized the SET program and complained that carbon capturing technologies are too expensive to flourish unless they get heavy government subsidies. In the letter, the group of unions also shared their worries about the future employment of current fossil fuel workers. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our newsletter at politico.com slash morningenergy. If you want to support our show, the best way to do it is by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And while you're there, check out some of our other shows like Global Insider, Politico Dispatch, and Playbook Deep Dive. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Annie Snyder. Talk to you again tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Did you know that Chevron supports the ambitions of the Paris Agreement? In fact, they've even tied their executives' compensation to lowering the carbon emissions intensity of their operations. Because it's only human to help power a brighter future.